Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must-have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between. Welcome back to season three of Ag Credit Set It. And today we are going to be talking about entities and the best way to structure your farm as a sole proprietor or if you're going to go through succession planning. Today we have Ryan Conklin with us again, who is the owner and attorney for Wright and Moore Law Firm, Wright and Moore Law Firm, located here in Delaware. Welcome, Ryan. We're happy to have you again. Yeah, great to be back, Libby. Is there some sort of repeat guest t-shirt or or uh, you know swag there, that I get? There was a talk last season from Phil that if you get on here five times, like Saturday Night Live, you get like a jacket or something, maybe. So I think okay. Kayla needs to work on that. So you got to you got to come on here a couple more times. Okay. Just let me know the topics. I'll be there, and I'll probably make my own punch card so uh, I can track my my, <laughs> my episode progress here. So really, really want to see this jacket come to fruition. Yes, me too. <laughs> All right, Ryan, could you tell us a little bit about yourself again and how you came to this path of being one of the top law firms um, in Ohio for agriculture? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So grew up about uh, 20 minutes uh, down the road here from Delaware, so in between uh, Plain City and Delaware, Southern Union County. Uh, my family had a dairy farm, uh, which was set up as a corporation that will come into play later. Uh, so hold on to that nugget uh, of information. But uh, our farm, um, you know, we, we've we've got a lot of development pressure around uh, around uh, our area because Columbus keeps coming out to us. But mm-hmm. um, really happy to have that farm upbringing. Uh, and then continue it with my education at Ohio State, University of Florida, and Michigan State uh, with, with uh, yeah, law practice. Uh, I only have ever worked for one place. I probably will only work for one place uh, with Wright and Moore. So our, uh, our firm focus continues to be on assisting farm families uh, with their uh, agricultural legal needs. Yes. And my husband, I have personally used Ryan and his firm and they do a fantastic job. Um, and we highly recommend them for if you guys are looking for succession planning or need any legal advice. Um, and Ag credit has also has them do, um, articles in the leaners. So you'll have to look for Ryan and his, um, and his partners here, um, for those, um, leader, um, articles. So we're talking about entities, is it truly necessary for a farm to operate under an entity? I know that's kind of a buzzword and everyone's like, oh, succession planning, you have to have entity. But is that absolutely right that you have to do that? I'm going to give you the most lawyerly answer I can give. Can, can you guess what it is? It depends. That is right. <laughs> that is exactly right. I love uh, that answer. <laughs> it, it all depends. Do you ever give that to, to member uh, member borrowers with, with ag credit? Yes. Uh, okay. So I guess you could say attorney and lender. Yeah, and and you are. Uh, yeah, I mean, just being able to say it depends. That's one third of the way to being a a, a lawyer. So if you know, if you want to complete your legal education, you know, be happy to to offer you a position. But <laughs> something tells me you're pretty comfortable with uh, with the ag credit gig there. Mm-hmm. So uh, is it necessary to operate under an entity? It, it isn't totally necessary. I think we have uh, plenty of farms that still operate as sole proprietorships uh, t- operating today. So when you're mm-hmm. operating as a sole proprietorship, 
Uh, this might be just Libby Wickstead Farms. That's it. Mm-hmm. There's no co-owner. You buy all the equipment in your name. You sell all the grain in your name. Uh, and all that income and expense is reported on your Schedule F. That's a very traditional sole proprietorship structure. Uh, another traditional structure but one that is technically an entity, even if you haven't taken steps to set one up. Uh, But we see this very often. This is uh, an informal partnership. So you have a brother and sister that farm together. Mm -hmm. Uh, They split grain checks. They share in the expenses for equipment. They depreciate assets together. Under Ohio law, they are actually operating a partnership, and they've done no uh, extra steps to set that up, no additional uh, liability protection, no real formal naming, mm-hmm. but the Ohio law is still going to view them as a partnership. Uh, but for many farm families, uh, they have gone the direction of setting up a business entity. There have been a lot of great reasons uh, for doing that uh, and why it's it's helped their own businesses. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to get into some mm-hmm. of those those reasons here in our discussion. So if somebody has, so you have that, you talked about that partnership. What about people doing a DBA? How does that play into it? If you have somebody who has like, let's say it's father, son and father, okay, how about we say father, son and mom Mm -hmm. and you know, mom and dad have 50%, son has 50%. Is that still operate as like a partnership or how does that play into um, a legal entity or not? Yeah. Yeah. So in that, um, let's say mom and dad and son are operating that partnership together, doing business as Wickstead farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ohio law is still going to view them as, as having a partnership relationship. And one of the defining characteristics there really goes back to that shared income and shared expense. Uh, and you might go a little deeper and say, okay, how are they splitting up management responsibilities? Are they sharing decision-making power with one another? But really probably the, the, the hallmark characteristic of that informal partnership is the sharing of income and expenses. Uh, so I mean, even with um, a sole proprietor, if you've got a DBA set up and all, all that really does is signal to the public the name under which you're operating, it doesn't do anything in the way of taxes or legal protections afforded by business entities. So you're just still acting as an individual essentially. That's right. And that's okay. going to be really important to come in uh, coming in later when we talk about liability. So why don't we just move on then to, can you describe what an LLC or a limited liability company is? Mm-hmm. Uh, an LLC is our gold standard in business entities today. This is by far the most common entity that attorneys will set up today. I would even go so far as to say, if you are setting up any other entity, you're bordering on legal malpractice. How's that for for a a very (laughs) hot take uh, uh, in the legal profession here? It's just the the LLC is the merger of the best parts of our two previous business entity options. So before you could set up an LLC, you would either have to choose from a partnership, which often was much better on the tax side, flow through taxation, uh, easier to manage your income and expenses there. Uh, but it was non-existent on liability protections for personal assets. So if you have a farm accident, and even if you weren't involved in that accident whatsoever, Mm -hmm. by virtue of being a partner in that business, the liability would actually trace back to your personal assets. 
So for a lot of farm families, that's, that's very concerning because mm-hmm. one accident could wipe out the whole family. So that's on the partnership side. And we solve the liability issue with having a corporation. So a corporation provides that shield for your personal assets. And as long as you're operating it correctly, your personal assets get protected from accidents that occur within that corporation. But corporations have a trade-off on the tax side Mm -hmm. because with an S-corp or a C-corp structure, you have heavy restrictions on moving assets in and out. They're not as um, not as ideal for um, succession planning because they have so many limitations. So here comes the LLC, which is the merger of those two entities. We get all the tax benefits of a partnership with flow through taxation, but we get the liability shielding of a corporation. And it's really that those combinations have allowed us to make the LLC into the premier farm business entity today. So on an LLC, you can be you can be an LLC as an individual owner, a sole a sole owner, mm-hmm. or you could have as many owners or members. I guess as that's probably the better word, members mm-hmm. of an LLC. Is that correct? That's right. So with that on the tax side, you could still as like a sole member, you would just you could still file that with your individual tax return. Mm-hmm. But if you had other members, that would be a separate tax return too. So that's just an additional step. Correct. Correct. So single mem- single member LLCs uh, are possible to set up, but they get some unique treatment on the tax side. Uh, so single member LLCs don't have to file a separate tax return. The IRS treats them as a disregarded entity, so they don't need to do their own return. But if you've got a, a multi-member LLC, like let's say Libby, me, and Kayla all in business together, mm-hmm. that's, that's, a, uh, that's a business where it does have to have its own tax return. It does have to have its own tax ID number. Uh, and really, because of the relationship between those three business owners, you want to have them really structured legally in the correct way to manage decision-making, manage what happens if the unexpected occurs, um, buyouts, mm-hmm. buy sells, areas like that. So even on the sole member LLC, FSA still wants them to have an EIN number, right? Mm-hmm. To operate under that LLC. And so will many banks and many yep. lenders. So so you're just better off just to get that EIN number from, from the start, just to be, I guess, compliant with everybody else and how they view, view your business. Right. Right. So, um, like you said, this seems to be the most popular entity for farm families. You know, is that? It, I know you're going to say this depends. <laughs> but, Am I really that predictable, Libby? Where where you can you can start reading my answers ahead of time? <laughs> yeah, but it's just you know this is such a popular popular um, entity structure, and how does it play? You know, can you have? multiple LLCs is that you know is that why it's so attractive to farm families because you can you can have them own different things and have you operate differently can you kind of paint the yep. picture of how that that works with you know a large operation mm-hmm. or even I guess it could even fall into a small operation as well it could uh, but most often if we're using multiple entity plans it's coming with with large or or maybe medium farm families uh, so for Multiple entity plans, the thing we have to watch out for is 
the administrative burden that comes with running multiple entities. So is the family comfortable enough with having multiple sets of books, multiple tax returns, tracking money moving across those businesses, tracking the distributions that would go out to members, tracking debt? Uh, Are they comfortable working in all of those different areas together and all at the same time? Or are we just creating an administrative and bookkeeping nightmare for mm-hmm. that family? Uh, so let's let's take, for example, a, a pretty typical multi-entity setup. We'll have farming operation uh, as one LLC. So maybe mom, dad, son, and daughter all together uh, operating, putting a crop out, bringing a crop in, or raising livestock. Uh, but that's its only job is to get that crop in, raise that livestock, sell it, make purchases of equipment or, or trucks or supplies, things like that. So that's one LLC over here on its own. Then another LLC is, is on the other side uh, where it's just land. Mm-hmm. It's often its own business. It's protected from the high-risk activities uh, in the farm business. And for transition planning purposes – that's usually just mom and dad in that mm-hmm. business. Uh, they have the land paid off or they've got, uh, they've got um, all the land holdings accumulated. So they want to, to hold on to that until they pass away. So it's often its own business. And that way, if again, anything happens in the farm business side, uh, we've still got the land that we can protect. We can replace grain. We can replace equipment. We can replace livestock. Mm-hmm. But if you have farm get sold due to a farm accident or, or another issue, then it's very hard to get that back. So that land LLC then, so from mom and dad, mom and dad are going to receive cash rent from that operating entity then. And that's kind of like, it could be their like retirement plan. Libby, I think you're really getting onto something here, your future in (laughs) agricultural law because, uh, or, or you've just read too many right and more plans here uh, where, where you, you kind of know our, our tricks of the trade. This is uh, in, in a meeting with a farm family. This is like one of those head-turning moments. They kind of look at me like, what, what are you talking about, man? This idea of paying rent from yourself to yourself, mm-hmm. taking money from your left hand and putting it in your right hand. Uh, this is a, a, a common thing that we advocate for in farm succession planning because it's a tax management tool. Uh, I'd be shocked if you have any listeners on here who are not concerned with taxes and not <laughs> right. worried about trying to pay less in taxes. Well, that land rent is from the farm business to the land business is one way to do that. Uh, because when you when you make that payment uh, from the farm LLC to the land LLC, uh, you're getting to treat that as passive income with no self-employment tax attached. Uh, but we also use it regularly as a retirement tool for mom and dad uh, because they've sunk all their money into the farm, their entire careers, their entire lives. They're there at you know, 65 or 70, ready to farm retire, which just means <laughs> going into tractor driver mode and, mm-hmm. and getting to have a little free time. Um, but they, they're very low on liquidity, and that land rent payment is one way we can prop up their bank account. So this is a good setup for tr- transition plan. This is what is this is what you mostly mostly are seeing coming through in your practice today. Yes, it, it's it's very common setup. If we're looking at multiple entity plans, that is a that is a very um, very typical plan. 
and it is just so effective on on so many fronts. It can meet so many client goals. You know, even if you've got mom and dad having off-farm children, in that case, at the very least, by having a land LLC set up, we've got a framework where a farming heir and a non-farming heir can coexist within a business together without a lot of infighting or a lot of risk to the land being sold. So with talking about that scenario too, you with LLCs, you have an operating entity. Mm-hmm. And so can you explain what an oper- er, operating, excuse me, operating agreement, mm-hmm. can you explain what that, what the operating agreement is and how you can, um, how you can piece that together to what best fits your farm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's gotten so bad, Libby, and please don't judge me for this, but I can pretty much, I can picture every page and every article of our operating agreement in my head where I can basically <laughs> explain it to you blind. So if you wanted to do a two-hour podcast with a reading of the operating agreement, I could think I could do it by memory, uh, but something tells me that won't make the, the cut for, uh, Might be a little ad, dry. Yeah, I think the ad credit set at episodes can do a lot better than, than that two-hour episode. Uh, but um, the operating agreement is such an important part of the LLC setup because it's the rule book that you're playing by as co-owners. It's the bylaws uh, that you're having to, to live by. So sometimes when we, we see LLCs set up, uh, whether... Uh, it would be outside of our office because we don't like to do LLCs this way, but we'll see a registration with the secretary of state and a tax ID number and that's it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Yeah. We don't like to see that just either. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, don't, don't take it from me. I'm, I'm just the attorney here. The lender, uh, the per the people that you have to go talk to, to get your money, whether it's an operating line or a term loan, mm-hmm. they are going to want to see that documentation and you will need more than a Secretary of State certificate and a tax ID number. So that operating agreement comes in to, to fill in the blanks. It says things like you're authorized to borrow money and to uh, pledge company assets as collateral. You know That's an approved use of the company. Here's who can make those decisions. Uh, if you want to sell your units or your shares outside the company, here are the restrictions. Mm-hmm. It's got to be offered to the family first. It's got to be offered at a discount. They have years to pay for it. If you run into a death or divorce issue, you know, know that this is one that we get all the time. We're concerned about in-laws. You know, I, I'm a son-in-law to my wife's family farm, uh, and they'll be darn sure that this the, the Yankee from Ohio isn't going to get his greasy paws on any of their family farm ground. <laughs> Uh, they, they, that same mindset mm-hmm. really is common throughout, uh, throughout agriculture and wanting to ensure family land stays in the family. But if you don't have that rule book in place to govern those decisions, to provide those protections, you know, your options become more limited to be able to achieve that goal. Yeah. So that's really important. And that's, you know, at Ag credit, we, we depend a lot on that operating agreement um, just like Ryan said, to who is authorized to do what, who can sign for what, um, you know, and some that I've seen, and I think even in our personal one, you know, you we have a member, but then we also have manager. Um, can you speak a little bit on what that means as well? Yes, yes. Um, it's actually possible to have both, have somebody serve in both roles, mm-hmm. both a member and a manager, um, 
and also somebody who is a manager but not a member. So Ohio LLC law allows you to have both. Uh, so a member, when we're referring to a member, when you're talking with your lender about uh, members of an LLC, these are the shareholders. These are the owners of the business. They're the ones that have the ultimate control over what direction that enterprise takes. Uh, the managers, on the other hand, are there to facilitate the day-to-day -day operations. They are buying parts. They are buying feed. They're marketing grain. They're doing all those day-to-day -day functions. Uh, again, bringing the operating agreement into play once again. It can be really important to have restrictions on the scope of authority for each one. So if you don't want managing members or managers to be able to sell land mm -hmm. or pledge equipment as collateral, your operating agreement has to say that. Um, and those are areas that we traditionally reserve for the members to make those decisions. But again, it's important to have those rules in place in writing. Yeah, and I think that's really, um, really critical for succession planning, especially if mom and dad are owners and son or daughter is taking over the farm and can have that management role within the LLC, but they're also right. not a not a um, member. Right. So we are with that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Somewhere along the way, you fell in love with farming. Then you dreamed you could make a difference by doing what you love. But getting started isn't easy. At Ag Credit, we know the challenges you face in getting your family farm off the ground. That's why our Ag Start loans are designed to help small farms and new farmers when you need it the most. From the beginning, we all start somewhere, start here, with an Ag Start loan from Ag Credit. Contact your local office to get started today. Learn more at agcredit.net. All right. Welcome back. So we are going to talk about another popular entity, um, which seems to be a general partnership or a limited partnership. Could you describe um, each of these entities? Of course. Uh, I think it was very strategic, Libby, on your part that coming out of the break, you asked me a question that I couldn't answer with, it depends. <laughs> so you know, now, now I think our, our question asking is evolving here. Um, so let's talk about partnerships. Um, mentioned them earlier in the show, uh, talking about informal partnerships, but there mm -hmm. are such things as as actual formal, registered with the state, tax ID number, actual independent partnerships. Uh, let's say in eight years of practice, I have never set up a limited partnership because if you're going to set up a limited partnership, I would say just set up an LLC. They're, they're better uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, so... Limited partnerships, I think, have kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. We don't really set them up much anymore. Uh, okay. But a general partnership is the only other entity that I've, I've set up besides an LLC. And it's set up for one reason and one reason only, and that is FSA payments. Could have guessed that one. Yes. Uh, see, I should have, I should have <laughs> asked you the questions. Uh, so, yes, the FSA question uh, or FSA issue uh, does come into play when we're talking about general partnerships. So with LLCs, which we talked about extensively earlier, or even corporations, uh, which I know we'll, we'll get to as well, the LLCs and corporations only receive one FSA payment limitation. So rewind about five years with the trade wars, with mm -hmm. lots of FSA money coming through, we actually saw farmers maxing out on their FSA payments uh, with just that one limitation. But where a general partnership 
add some benefit is uh, you can have as many payment limitations as there are full-time farmers. So if you have four 25% equal partners in a general partnership, FSA is going to give you four payment limitations. Now, there's still some drawback there with liability protections because mm-hmm. partnerships are very poor um, for liability protection. But it's hard for me to say, no, farmer, I'm not going to make you eligible for a half a million dollars in <laughs> FSA money. And nor do I think their lender would want me to say, Ryan, <laughs> go ahead and do something that makes them ineligible for that FSA money. I think that uh, depending on the farm size, uh, we really want to look at general partnerships sometimes if we're going to ever have a risk of brushing up against the payment limitation money. So when would this be a good choice for a farming operation? It's, it is all size dependent uh, on when they need a, a general partnership versus being able to get by on an LLC. So the, uh, so the threshold uh, with farmers on maybe the livestock side, uh, we would want to see probably something approaching like a confined animal feeding operation. Uh, but again, on the livestock side, those programs are administered differently. Mm-hmm. On the row crop side, that's when we're most worried about uh, FSA payment limitations. So on partnerships... Are they good for succession planning? Do you, when you create a partnership and you can have, you know, more than, you know, two partners to a partnership, but does that partnership end when you create another entity or can that, can you switch out partners or how does that work if you're trying to do succession planning on that? Yeah, you can transition a partnership uh, the same way that you would transition shares or membership units, shares in a company or membership units in an LLC. So you transition uh, one partner out of the business and you transition the next partner into uh, into the business. So they are uh, common tools and uh, in succession planning. but again, we're we're looking to use them as as ways uh, if we're relying on FSA money, ways to inject liquidity uh, into to family farms. So with partnerships then too, do they have like a partnership agreement that kind of governs how how that transition would work? Mm-hmm. Recycling some of our conversation earlier from uh, LLCs and operating agreements, we want to use some of the same principles with partnerships uh, in those areas. Uh, but it, same with LLCs and corporations, partnerships have a set of laws on the book on the books in Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, where if you don't have a specified partnership agreement or operating agreement, then state law is going to come in and fill in the blanks. You know, you'll be relying on state law. And I can tell you, after having read it, uh, it is not as favorable as the rules that you can put in place by being proactive with your legal counsel. And getting exactly what you want for your operation and totally catered to exactly your operation. Right, right. Okay, so let's talk about corporations. Mm -hmm. When is there a place for corporations or... We can look at it. You have a corporation that was set up years ago and is still in place. And, you know, now it's transitioning transitioning down to, you know, maybe the second or third generation. Yep. Yep. Uh, corporations produce the most heartburn in succession planning for me. Uh, if, if a client walks in with a corporation binder or I know I have a corporation ahead of time, I'm just going to bring the Tums with me to the meeting <laughs> to manage the heartburn because they're, they're everywhere you look with corporations, um, there is some sort of consequence related to taxes. Um, so again, 
I have not set up a corporation, but my own family farm is in a corporation. And the challenge that corporations present is that they are really bad on taxes. Uh, so let's let's say we've got Conklin Dairy Farms. It's got land parked in there. Um, if it were parked in an LLC, that land would receive a new tax basis when somebody passes away, which is really important mm-hmm. if you're a, in a heavily urbanizing area. With a corporation, the only asset that receives a new tax basis at death are the shares themselves. So if I own half the shares, my, my shares would get a new tax basis, and it's based on the underlying assets. But the land that is parked in that business would not get a new uh, a new basis. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens with equipment that's parked in, in corporations as well. No new tax basis, no ability to redepreciate it. So it really, uh, you miss out on some of those uh, those big tax benefits that a, an LLC or a partnership would offer. And then from the transitioning uh, or succession planning standpoint, what we target or we look to do with corporations is get them to where they're just landholding businesses. They're no longer mm-hmm. operating. They're no longer buying equipment. They're no longer uh, trying to, to be the primary business that's driving uh, the farm. Uh, if we can get those corporations down to where they're just land, you know, we can live with them being a landlord mm-hmm. uh, and those make them easy to operate. But then we would look for another business like an LLC or a partnership to be the operator going forward. And you just led me in to my next question. So how, in a succession plan, can you take all of these different structures of of these entities and create a plan for a farm family? Does it have to just be all LLCs or can you have a partnership that's owned by LLCs? And how do you integrate all of these different options that we have into a succession plan for a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can put folks in a real mental pretzel with the type <laughs> of business entities that we set up. But I mean, that's why I made the point earlier that the family being able to operate it and understand it when they walk out of their lawyer's offices should be paramount uh, at, at, on the list of their concerns. So you've probably run into that on the lender side where you, you will get plans or you'll get documents from members. You're looking at them and say, what? the heck did this attorney do here? That's none, when I call Ryan. Oh, I was going to say, none of them would be our plans, <laughs> of course, uh, which which your firm knowledge uh, of those at, at this point with how many come across your desk. But we actually have some farm families, even ad credit members that have really all three entity structures that we've talked about. And then adding a fourth structure in there, trusts, which we haven't touched on yep. too much. Uh, you'll see some families with with LLCs, partnerships, and corporation, all all in one, uh, and it might sound daunting, and it might sound like it's like it's too much, but uh, there's always a good reason why we have those set up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, our, our philosophy in the office is don't set up businesses for the sake of setting up businesses. You know, you might run into some attorneys that would say each farm needs to be its own LLC or each rental house needs to be its own LLC. And then you need to have cross ownership, you know, one LLC owning another. Uh, there's ways to get the same legal effect, the same goals accomplished without ramping up the complexity too much. And it just, I think that just creates confusion when you do that instead of really truly setting it up for, 
you know, what the farm family actually needs. Right. And that's what, when, you know, when I have a farm family that's going through a transition or succession plan and, you know, and I'm not involved in that conversation and it comes across my desk, sometimes it's like, okay, why did you set it up this way? Mm-hmm. And then they look at me like, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's really um, difficult because then when they're trying to explain it to me, you know, of why they set it up a certain way, it, you know, it, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Right. And sometimes, right. you know, and that's where, you know, I know you guys and you guys want everybody to understand when they walk out the door, you know, what's in what entity. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And I also want to bring up a good point, too, as you when we've talked about all of these different types of entities and structures mm-hmm. is you've brought up taxes. Yes. So it's so important and crucial Again, I think we talked about this a couple months ago to have that board of directors and to have them work together to create that plan for you for the succession plan and and if an entity is right for your operation. Right. Right. It's a uh, it's a professional team decision across all advisors that could be assisting with your farm because uh, each one of them is bringing uh, a different angle to the place uh, or, or bringing a different angle to the table. So for example, if I was uh, if I was really getting out of my lane and talking about lending decisions and borrowing structures mm-hmm. and how how debt should be managed, if I was getting into those decisions, uh, Libby would probably not be sitting across the table from me right now trying to, <laughs> to do this because she would say, this guy gets gets out of his lane and trying to tell mm-hmm. a lender what to do. So that's that's where it's I wouldn't think of um, think of this as trying to find one person that's necessarily do it do it all. Mm-hmm. To have a good group around you, each of them bringing uh, a specialized knowledge to the table, and then have them work together to be able to achieve those succession planning goals. Yeah, because we all I think we all need to know you know what does the lender need, mm-hmm. what does the CPA need, or the accountant. What does, you know, what does the attorney think is the best idea? And, you know, sometimes on my end, it's like, well, I just need to know what is in the operating entity, what's coming in and out of there, is the equipment in there or not, you know, for it. Because it, when you do go through succession planning and you create these entities, it creates a huge impact on, or it can create a huge impact on how you do your banking, how your loans are set up with, you know, your lender, um, because we may need to move things around. We may need to put new security instruments out there. And please, 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 and I know Ryan tells his clients this, <laughs> if you create a trust, if you create an LLC or a partnership or whatever, please tell your lender. Please tell your crop insurance advisors. Mm-hmm. Please tell your insurance agent. You know, you need to make sure that you're telling all of these people that you've made these changes because you may not be insured. You may not, um, your crop insurance may not come into play if you are still operating with them as an individual when you created this LLC and Mm -hmm. sold your grain in this LLC. So those are very crucial um, to make sure that you communicate that to, you know, what I think I referred to before as your board of directors. Yeah, and and this is not because uh, Ag Credit's paying me a handsome sum to be on this (laughs) podcast. I don't know what you've paid the other uh, the other guests on Ag Credit said stickers. It. Stickers, okay. <laughs> well, you know, I haven't I haven't deposited that check you gave me yet, so we'll see if that if that clears. But I, I really mean this in saying that the lender is probably the most important party at the table there, and at least in the legal profession, this is 
where we kind of can separate who just works with farmers versus who is a farm mm-hmm. succession planner because the the cash flow concerns and the concerns of the lender should always be at the top because so many of the farms are dependent on their lender relationship to be able mm-hmm. to to keep the operation going. Uh, those need to be at the the top of the list. So it's also good to have a good relationship with your lender. I know we have kind of um, said that over and over and over again on our podcast. Just as Ryan has said, again, make sure you have your leases written and if they're over three years filed. I'll put that plug in for you, Ryan. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Libby. <laughs> this, hey, this is great. Free legal advice uh, for the for the people here. Um, that's why we come to you. No, right. just kidding. Um, so I want to also ask, so we talked about farms and farm transition and succession planning. Many of our farmers also have a side business or a side gig Mm -hmm. too, you know, that maybe not be related to the farming operation. How, you know, I have, you know, know several guys that have trucking operations or, you know, they have, you know, I don't know, some agritourism that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. How does that flow in to, you know, the operation and how do you protect um, those businesses as well from the farming operation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, think of uh, those different entities or those side businesses as as kind of like a Venn diagram. Um, if you've got land holding business, farm operating business, and agritourism business, uh, all, all operating um, in the same family here, do you want that agritourism business or that trucking business or the house rental business to overlap in any way to where if there's an accident or there's an issue – it interferes with the farm operation. And I think most uh, most listeners would say no. Mm-hmm. We want those to be off on its own where if there is a problem with the agritourism or trucking or rental business, we can kind of amputate that part uh, of the family empire and let it let it die off. Uh, because the you know, oftentimes what we're seeing, and I'm sure AgCredit sees this as well, those side businesses are there in support of, mm-hmm. of the larger farming operation. Uh, but even that's important and is probably helpful in a lot of ways financially. We don't want there to be any way to to connect an accident mm-hmm. in that side business into the the two farming enterprises. So, with thinking of high liability with agritourism and trucking companies, what can what kind of entity can they set up to help protect them? Yeah, LLCs are what we'll go back to uh, on okay. that front. Those are are very um, very classic candidates for for a strong LLC plan, uh, but again, the legal structure is one piece. Operating it on the other side uh, is another. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a trucking business and that trucking business uh, is also making itself available to haul grain during mm-hmm. harvest, uh, you, you need to have some sort of exchange of money between the farm operation business and the trucking business, because if you don't then that Venn diagram starts to compact a little bit and they start to overlap more. But if you can keep the, the money moving from the farm operation to the trucking business, that's one way to say, look, it's a totally separate entity. Um, you know, there's an, it, it's, an, it's its own LLC. Uh, we're operating it separately if there's an issue. And on that with that comment that Ryan made with the grain hauling and that, I will refer you back to our podcast in season two 
with the State Highway Patrol and just watching yourself from, you know, hauling grain for a, for your individual, individually for yourself, also for a neighbor, but then also hauling for hire as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll put that plug in there because that kind of creates a lot of different liability and overlapping on rules there. Mm -hmm. Um, So lastly, Ryan, what is your advice that you would give to young beginning farmer in terms of setting up an entity? Yeah, uh, start early on this front. Uh, The side businesses or the main farming business that you're working on uh, as a young or beginning farmer, it's something you'll probably carry with you the rest of your career. Uh, So get that entity set up sooner rather than later. Uh, Make your lender happy because you will be going to ask them for more money over (laughs) and over. And it's good to have those documents uh, ready to go. So start early on the entity planning front just for your own pieces. Uh, But there's probably another podcast, I'm not going to volunteer myself for this here, but probably another podcast in the future talking about how that relates to business entities owned by the veteran generation, owned by Mm -hmm. mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. How do you get into those businesses? That is uh, that is a pretty loaded topic, one we talk about all the time, but uh, those have very different steps and they take buy-in from more people to accomplish. Yes, no, that's another great topic that we get questions about all the time. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you. We are happy to have you today and this will do it for another episode of Ad Credit Said It. Again, we will have all of our um, resources in the show notes and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Said It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net.